You're listening to Reflections on Now, a podcast brought to you by City Church Tulsa, in which Pastor Matt Nelson and artist Cody Jensen look at cultural events and everyday life through the gospel lens of love. For more information on City Church, visit citychurchtulsa.com. So I'd like to start with a question. Have you ever picked up your phone um, to maybe Google something or quickly check a text message and then 25 minutes, 45 minutes, two hours later, you realize that you're still on your phone doing something you didn't intend and don't necessarily want to do. Yeah, almost every day. Um, So that's all of us. I mean, all of us seem to have this craving to be on our phone, but without the actual want or desire to be doing it. And we find ourselves in these perplexing situations where we're like, what am I doing? Right. Why am I doing this? And I feel like we've all had those experiences with our phones specifically that we look at ourselves and we're like, why? Why am I? I don't want to do this. It's been two hours. Like I, I, I woke up at 7 a.m., grabbed my phone off my nightstand, and it's now 9 a.m., and I'm still scrolling, and I don't even want to do it. I told myself yesterday, hey, don't do that, and I still did it. That is where the world is, and one of the things that is keeping us, if not the ultimate thing, keeping us from truly being spiritually formed people. And within that, I think we have to understand what is happening in our brain so that we can have that knowledge as power to institute self-control. Yeah, yeah. I, I think we have to realize there are other people working to make sure that we stay connected at all times it's why you don't play one game on your phone you play 14 in a row it's why you don't watch one youtube video you watch 10 because it comes up one after another. it's why you binge watch a whole show it's why you are constantly looking to say have somebody commented or liked or what's it, it's just there's science behind what's happening mm-hmm. and they are preying on our vulnerabilities and they know that if I can get you addicted to that, I'm going to keep you coming back and keep you. And we are. Right. I mean, I do it all the time. I sit down with my kids and we watch one funny home video. And before we know it, it's 930 and they should have been about an hour ago and we've just watched 10. Right. And the science that backs that up, if, if you look at neurobiology, we have certain chemicals in our brain. The one that we want to talk about specifically today is dopamine. Mm-hmm. Dopamine is the chemical in your brain that gives you pleasure. And evolutionary speaking, we have, we, we have this chemical so that we will do things without thinking. We will, we will want to crave that steak because it is sustenance. High food and high in fat and sugar are things that trigger dopamine like crazy because they're so rarely found in nature that whenever we are able to have it, we should consume as much of it as possible. That's how we that's how we have grown to have such a large brain to the point now where I can talk about how my brain is working. Mm. Uh, Christian mystics and saints have been talking about the the separation of the of the soul, the mind, the consciousness from the brain. And it is the dying to self. It is the self-control that we talk about. Now modern day science is able to say, hey, that's actually kind of true. We have a mind and we have a brain and our mind can control our brain. But if we're not careful, our brain can absolutely override what we want. Yes. And we've gotten to the point where we know by experience, just anecdotal experience, by 
spiritually formed people receiving words of God saying that this is what is happening and recent science all backing up that sometimes we crave things we don't actually want. And it all has a purpose, but in our modern life, it has been manipulated by Silicon Valley executives looking to make a dollar by grabbing, keeping, and selling our attention. Yes. Yeah, I have to remind myself, there is somebody right now who is strategically using the algorithms and the way that my brain is wired to keep me locked into their product, to keep me coming back. That makes me unable to wake up in the morning, open up the scripture, and allow my mind to ponder on what the psalmist was really doing because my mind can't even stay connected to something that long. I mean, that's how it works out practically. Mm -hmm. And we've all done it and we've been there. And there are people that are, again, preying on our vulnerabilities, know what they're doing. And the brain does affect the soul, the mind, the heart, because what you ponder and what you think about is what you become. Mm Mm-hmm. What you think about is ultimately, that's the heart of spiritual formation, is what you think about and ponder is, is inevitably what, what the form you take. Right. And are we in control of what we're thinking about? Or are we giving away our autonomy to an app to think for us? Which is essentially saying, are we allowing tech executives and advertisers to think for us? Because an algorithm, which is essentially just a bunch of math that looks at the data of you, formulates that into what to give to you on social media that will most likely get you to click a button, which allows them to know that it worked. And then they will feed that back into the math and give you more of that. It's a social validation feedback loop. It is also what we have called the echo chamber um, of social media because it forms into this just getting you to stay on because the more clicks you get, the more dopamine you get. Yep. And that's the tension you just described is we think we need the dopamine, but it's the very thing that honestly we're trying to get rid of. Right. We don't want to be addicted to that. We don't want that draw. What you really want deep down in your soul is you want to be content mm-hmm. with who you are. Mm-hmm. You want to be able to sit quietly and ponder and think and enjoy and savor. And the dopamine makes you a maniac. Mm -hmm. It controls you. It says, no, you have to have that. So go find it and get it and watch the 14 shows instead of savoring the one. And so it's so, so difficult right now for us to reclaim what's been lost because it is, we are, we are being conditioned to become addicts Mm -hmm. and don't even realize it until we set and try to be right. Try to be present. Within that, you have the hacking of our dopamine center for monetary value. But there's also something else in there that tech executives have also figured out, and that is our need for social validation. Um, Recent neuroscience uh, studies have shown that whenever our brain stops thinking, the first thing our brain defaults to is thinking about our social life. And They did this through actual study of putting people into MRI machines, having them look at images, and then just saying, hey, we're going to take a five-minute break. And whenever they took the break, that's when the study began. And they scanned the brain and found that the majority of people, whenever they stop thinking about something active, the passive thing that starts lighting up is our social life. 
because we're tribal beings. We need other people and we need to maintain social order with those people in order to survive. And so we have to think about what is the ramifications of me not talking to this person? What's the ramifications of me not sharing my food with that person? Um, all of those things are what our most basic primitive brain thinks about survival and survival through social life. Mm -hmm. And because of that, tech executives in these social media companies are utilizing our own chemical biology to hack our behaviors. And those behaviors are becoming behavioral addictions. And through that, we are starting to give all of our attention away with no actual intention of how we spend it. And so the question for me is, how is that ultimately affecting our spiritual formation? Yeah, I mean, I, I think we have a crisis right now within the church, I, I would say absolutely among Christians, and it's, it's a crisis of spiritual formation. And it doesn't seem like a crisis because it seems like there's other bigger things out there that we should be worried about. But you, know, you become what occupies your mind. That, that is the whole ramifications of spiritual formation, that you, whatever you dwell on, whatever you put your mind towards is inevitably what you take the form of. And so now we are so distracted that we have this inability to set and be with Jesus. It's the Luke 10, Mary and Martha. It's like, we want to be Mary, but we have no idea how. And so we're just going to run around. We're going to be distracted and then wonder at the end of the day, why do I feel like I'm not living a transformed life? Why do I feel like I'm not being spiritually formed? Honestly, it's because you, you, you don't even know how. So one of my favorite quote, quotes, uh, Blaise Pascal says, all the unhappiness of men arises from one single fact. They're unable to stay quietly in their own room. Mm -hmm. And I remember the first time I read that and I was like, I got to read that again. Mm -hmm. All the unhappiness of men arises from one single fact. They're unable to stay quietly in their own room. Mm -hmm. It's like, how true is that? The person who can sit in their own room and be content is no longer controlled by something else. No, my contentment is in who I am. Mm -hmm. I've found this ability to be. And when you get to that place where you can set in solitude, I believe that's, that's one of those signs that's like, okay, something good's happening here. Right. When you feel so distracted, so antsy, so jittery that you have a hard time setting and just being and watching, to me, that's a signpost in my life that says, okay, something's, something's taken over. Mm -hmm. I think the things that keep us from that place are distraction and clutter. We have external clutter, but we also have internal clutter. Oh, yeah. Because the fear of sitting in silence and solitude is, one, well, if I'm sitting in silence and solitude, I, I have to be bored. So that means I have to give up TV, I have to give up phone, I have to give up X, Y, Z. But also, once I'm there, what is inside of me that I'm going to have to deal with in order to actually be silent? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, you have to come face to face with the things that are truly driving you. Mm -hmm. And that's scary for many. Um, you know, this is the, the great kind of paradox of this whole thing is that what we're scared of is really what we inwardly desire. Mm -hmm. You know, what we're fearful of is this place of solitude and alone. And yet inwardly, I think we also crave it and we want to be in that place. Uh, Henry Nouwen says in, in solitude, I get rid of my scaffolding, mm. all the things around me, no friends to talk with, no telephone calls to make. The task is to persevere in my solitude to stay in my cell until all my seductive visitors get tired of pounding on my door and leave me alone. 
Mm-hmm. And I said yes to that. Mm-hmm. That's what we do in that solit- solitude is, is that we are inundated from every area saying, okay, think about this, do this, make this list. Uh, what about this? You've done this. And it's almost like you have to persevere in that space until all those seductive visitors leave. Right. And that is hard to do. That is difficult to do. But that is the place where we not only are spiritually formed, but I think we become who we were created to be. Right. You know, it's just us and God. Mm-hmm. I don't have to perform. I don't have to do anything. I can sit at the feet of Jesus and find my contentment from this place. I, I would think there's m- myself, you, a lot of people listening to this right now, they're like, oh, man, I, I'd, lo- I'd love that. Mm-hmm. I'd love to be in that place, you know? Right. <laughs> we know that we're not quite there. Right. So within that, we are not there. And also you just said it's so hard to do. I would like, I would add to that, that it may be the hardest thing to do, not only because Jesus, every teaching from my perspective is teaching you how to become a person who can sit in the garden. Mm -hmm. So spiritually, I believe it is the hardest thing you could do, the most needed thing to do. But in our modern world of distraction, I think that even before we can get to the point where we sit and reach silence in the garden, we have to be able to reach a point to get to the garden. And I think that that's where we're actually at, that most people, including myself and most of my life, I was so distracted by the modern world and what I thought brought meaning to the world, work, hustle culture, being somebody who consumed all of the things that we need to consume, water cooler talk of, hey, have you seen Tiger King? Hey, have you seen this? Hey, have you seen this? It makes you feel as though in order to be a part of culture, you have to engage in all of the things mm-hmm. that culture brings. Because if you miss out on those things, then you, what are you? Are you even human anymore? You're, you're falling behind. But we believe the lie yes. that all of those things are what is required to be a human. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So we just live running from one place to another. I'll never forget uh, walking the streets of Jerusalem and we're there on Shabbat, on Sabbath. And, you know, the misconceptions for many of Christians is, man, you guys are following the law. You have to do this. You shut everything down. Man, what a pain. We get to go do all these things. And I'm walking around experiencing all of the joys of when technology and all the distractions leave and the relationships that get to flourish and the time with the people that you love. And I'm leaving that time thinking, what a gift that we don't get. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like you think that you're. You're missing something, but you're not. You're gaining something. But you have to come to that realization and honestly be, be disciplined enough to find these spaces. And I mean, to put your phone on do not disturb or turn it off, which some of us like, you know, you haven't turned off your phone in a year, you mm-hmm. know, or to find these little places where you see this in the life of Jesus, this engagement and withdrawal, engagement, withdrawal, engagement, withdrawal, time and time again. I mean, the disciples wake up in the morning. They don't find Jesus because he's, he's already gone. Mm-hmm. Who had more to do in three years than he did? Who was more, you know, clamoring for his attention, and yet he knew this rhythm of his life was the only thing that would sustain him. And so he constantly, and I'm going to get on the boat, I'm going to teach, I'm going to feed the 5,000, we're going to get on the boat, we're going to go over to the other side. And, and sometimes they found him anyway, you know. And that's what I've realized. People think, oh, you know, the greatest thing you've got to do, you've got leadership challenges, and you've got to navigate this, and the crisis, and all these things. No, my greatest challenge is leading myself. It always will be to the day I die. It will be, can I discipline and find the rhythms in my life to be daily renewed? Mm-hmm. That will be the greatest challenge. 
with those spiritual rhythms. I think that it, we can get distracted by that, by thinking that we add those spiritual rhythms to our lifestyle. But I think we have to recognize that as Christians, we are a counterculture. We are called by Jesus to be like Jesus, and he didn't walk in lockstep with culture. If he did, he wouldn't be murdered for it. That means that we as Christians will always look different than the culture around us. We are a counterculture, and we'll always be a counterculture until the kingdom comes. Mm -hmm. And so because of that, if we look at our lives and we say, yeah, I mean, my life, generally speaking, looks just like my coworkers and my neighbors and everybody else. I just happen to go to church. That is far from the people of God that we are called to be. Right. Yeah. And and as I'm an achiever, I mean that, that desire to 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 achieve things and do things. And I've seen this trajectory in my life where early on, even in my twenties and, and even in my thirties, it's I want to do leadership conference. I want to go to grow conference. How how big can we grow our church and how can I become the best leader? Now my my life and heart is and how can I be spiritually formed? Mm-hmm. How can I learn to sit at the feet of Jesus? Because you you begin to achieve some of those things that you've desired to, and then you find them so so empty. Right. Yeah, I, I write about this in, in my book, The Beauty of the In-Between. I said, you know, I have a great friend who I've seen this several times. People achieve this lifelong goal and desire only to sit in that space and now be extremely disappointed that it wasn't what they thought it was going to be. Mm-hmm. And it leads you on a search that I've got to go find something else. When you learn to set and be, I mean, that's whenever the searching ends. No, this is what I was created for. This is who I was designed to be. Uh, but, but getting into this place and, and maintaining this heart and desire is, is a battle. You know, what you just talked about, I think Jesus, this is what Jesus says in Sermon on the Mount when he says, hey, there's a, there's a wide door and there's a narrow one. And the wide gate, everybody's going down. So if you want to go down that, just go with the flow and pursue those things. But there's a narrow gate and this one leads to life. But guess what? It's going to be a little bit harder. Mm-hmm. It's going to be more difficult at times. Then in this Sermon on the Mount, the greatest teacher who ever lived, who gives, gives the greatest sermon um, ever known, the, antith- you know, like the, the build up, the pinnacle of, of, of all of this is Matthew 6.33, where he says, seek first the kingdom of God and my righteousness, and all these other things will be given to you as well. Mm-hmm. So he takes all of these things and he's like, if you will just make me your pursuit, you realize everything else I'll take care of. Right. You know, the heart of the gospel there. Yeah. I think that, within the fruits of the spirit that lead us into the narrow gate and the, what we're talking about right now with digital distraction, what is required in the fruit that we have to embody is the fruit of self-control and self-control is what leads you into the narrow gate because the wide gate is so wide because those are people not controlling their selves. The concept of the self we have, like I mentioned in the beginning, if we think, if we look at ourselves as we have a brain, but we also have a mind, we have to control those natural impulses, our natural desires, not because they are bad, but because they don't lead us to where we want to go. And if we want to go somewhere, we have to intentionally make a plan to go there and intentionally control what we know not to be true in order to find the truth. That's the paradox of not only the Christian life, just our, our life in general, is that this, this narrow gate that we're talking about is the way to life, but it's, it's the counterculture. It's the harder way. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, when's the last time you regretted doing something hard, right? It, there's always a benefit and a payoff. It's just you have to understand walking into this that there is a price, right? You know, and, and we, we realize that the controlled heart, the controlled life, the controlled mind, I, I see that today. 
I, I love our younger generation. I'm not going to pick on them because there's so many I, things I could say uh, good about them. But that e- that's even why, why we live in this social justice culture for one reason is because we literally cannot uh, sit still. Right. So we value movement. We value going to do something because we've lost the ability to abide, lost the ability of solitude, lost the ability to sit in, in prayer. And that, that's something that worries me. Mm-hmm. Because when you have this mentality of I'm going to go do at the expense of being, um, that is a recipe for disaster. Mm-hmm. That's a res- recipe for bitterness, resentment, anger. I see a lot of people right now who are, man, they want to be the social justice warrior, but they have not learned to sit at the feet of Jesus. And so like we talked about even in, in, in episode one, your pain that is not transformed is, is transferred. And so a lot of people are transferring their pain. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people are out there thinking that they're making a significant impact when really they are just angry. And I think what God does inside of us as we learn to be with him is he transforms our burden and our pain and our anger into something transformative mm-hmm. and something redemptive right. and something that's truly loving and not just the veneer mm-hmm. of love. You know, If I was to uh, get in a time machine, go back to the year 2000 and talk to uh, Matthew Nelson, how old were you then? That's a good question. What was I, 16? If, yeah. if I was to go back and talk to 16-year-old Matt and I was like, hey, in the future... You're going to be able to share with the world every thought that you have immediately when you have it. How awesome is that going to be? <laughs> no, no that's, not, that's, not, that's not going to be good. We now consume the amount of knowledge in a, a year or two of our life that most people in prior generations had in a lifetime. Mm-hmm. We can't input that much into our life and it not affect us. And if we don't have the ability to sit in silence and solitude, which allows us to contemplate, that's the word I think that has been missing from this conversation is that the reason we sit in silence and solitude is to reach into that taproot of love that is Jesus at our core, but to contemplate all things. And within the contemplation, we realize that I don't need to voice that thought because that was my first thought. (laughs) <laughs> not my actual opinion. Right. That's an incredible truth right there. I, I think people need to sit and ponder that for a second. Yeah, you cannot process information at the speed that, that you think you can, right? So we make snap judgments off of such limited decision, no contemplation, no talking through it to see another viewpoint. And we almost feel like we have to do that. Like now that's the norm. Right. I mean, it's it's fed into this cancel culture of of canceling people with limited knowledge, and it it is absolutely toxic. And I and I think you're right. If you went back and looked and said, "Look what this has done to us," none of you would sign up for it, and yet here we are. Mm -hmm. And because it's normal, we think that it's it's okay, right? You know, because it's just part of life. And so I, I think now the 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 follower of Jesus in the 21st century has to sit down and look and say, "Man, there's a narrow gate over here." And guess what? Few are going to go through it. And I've got to figure out what that looks like. And I think some of it is learning to limit the influences. Mm-hmm. I mean, as you're talking about this, yesterday I pulled up just my news and I took a screenshot of it because the top, there's four news stories that came up and the top one was uh, physicists say there's a 90% chance civilization will collapse. Well, that's, that's awesome. Uh, it's hopeful. For, yeah. 40 infected uh, at a church last week in Alabama. Mm, so gives me life. Yeah. That's, that's good to hear. You know, there's, two homicides you know, near our house yesterday. And then the, the fourth one was 
some che- teachers choosing to retire rather than go back to school, you know, was, was a dad of four kids. You know, I mean, it's like, mm-hmm. I was just thinking like, why do I do this so many times a day? Mm-hmm. I mean, half of those are clickbait, right? You know, physicists saying the world's going to collapse. It's just so you can click on it. And now I've just added some sort of fear or cause for concern to my day. And like, uh, I think of it like this, you, you pour things out of what you have and you only have so much. And what we have is a bunch of people running around on empty. Mm-hmm. You have nothing left to give. Like you've been on empty for a long time because emotionally and mentally, like you're so exhausted and you're doing it to yourself. Like you're engaging on all these things that are pulling life away from you and emptying you and you're not being refilled. And then we wonder why we can't show up and love well. Right. Why we can't love our spouse, why we're not living a transformed life. It's like you've been on empty for so long. And now being inundated with thousands of images, we have to figure out how do I fill this cup at a faster rate than I'm being depleted? That is extremely difficult. Right. Extremely difficult. Yeah. I think the a metaphor that uh, illustrates that is it being on a plane when they're giving the safety uh, announcement and they, what do they say when the mask drops? Put your own mask on before you help others because you can't help people if you're dead. Absolutely. So- you have to be able to refill yourself before you can pour out into the world. The world doesn't need to know your opinions on empty. They need to know your opinions on full because that is where Christ is. Like whenever you are full of life and love and joy, and then you are sharing those thoughts that are bubbling up out of you, you're going to sound so much different than culture that you're going to be paid attention to. Yep. And yep. you may cause conflict because that they, there's a bunch of people on empty reading what you're saying, but you are actually giving life to the world versus giving more. Yes. Madeline Engel talks about that being the, the cosmos in the chaos. We have to bring order to the chaos. And if you're just putting more chaos in the chaos, then you are far from Christian. You are far from what Jesus wants you to do. Mm-hmm. He doesn't want you to bring more chaos to the chaos of the world. Blessed are the peacemakers. Mm-hmm. Blessed are those who bring um, God's rule and reign, right? His goodness, his peace into disorder. And that's exactly right. The transformed you can have such a significantly greater impact than the empty you. Because again, the empty you, we talk about this comes out always sideways. It always comes out bitter and resentful because there are things that we just are passionate about. But when we transform them, we see through the lens of love and mercy and compassion and not through our own personal validation, not through what we believe trying to be right. And that changes everything. It just, it just changes everything. Mm -hmm. And I mean, when Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, sometimes you disrupt the false peace, which, which is difficult. And sometimes you enter into the chaos and to restore what is broken and restore order. And, and I think that's, that's what we're called to at the, the deepest level of kingdom life. Right. So the things that we're passionate about, that's what we're doing right now. We're talking about the things that we are passionate about, which is, is to know the why. Why do we know the things that we know? And we have to know that we have to talk about that. We can't just know things. We have to know why we know them. So that's why we are passionately talking about this topic and one thing that I, we need to get back to is the practical. Yeah. Um, the practical things that have helped me, the first thing I did was I got my phone away from my bed. That mm-hmm. instead of putting it on my nightstand, I actually moved my charger across my house to where in bed I cannot reach it. And that, oh, That's crazy, bro. <laughs> that's crazy. And, and that was one of the best things that I did. Yeah. 
all of those excuses that you're going to think of whenever you know you say, don't put the phone by the bed, you're going to think of nine things, nine reasons why, but each one of those things is an excuse. And if you actually take that excuse, there are simple solutions for it. Well, I need to know the time. Okay, buy an alarm clock. Um, what if an emergency? Put it on loud and put it across the room. Like just there are always solutions to those excuses that your behavioral addiction is telling you. Mm-hmm. You cannot wake up and immediately start consuming and then expect to be able to create. That's right. Yeah, that's a big one for me is before you engage technology in the morning, you engage spiritually. Before you open up email, before you look at social media, you are already setting the tone mm-hmm. uh, for the day. Yeah. I, I, th- I think that's a, that's a big one, uh, even for me. And in all these spaces, you have to know the challenges that exist. I, I know for me, when I'll go extended time with no social media, which if you've not done that, you absolutely need to, because it's revealing and it's healthy that moving, either deleting my apps or moving them into a, another folder where they're not visible. And how many times do I get my phone on, start going there and realize that are not there, mm-hmm. right? I just did it out of habit. Compulsion. You know? Yeah. And so anybody who, who's done this kind of social media fast and, and just FYI, you don't have to announce your social media fast. You can just do it. It's cool. Um, you but know, how will people know that I'm utilizing self-control if I don't tell right, people? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And there are some, there's people that I've talked to about this and they say, well, what people are going to be contacting me and I'm not going to be responding to them. And, and that's rude. And like, no, it's not. It's, it's, it's part of life. Right. You know, it's the person who, you know, texts you back immediately every time. Why? Because they've got their phone in their hand. Right. And the person who doesn't because they're spending quality time with, with their family or quality time with God, you've got to do what you've got to do. Mm-hmm. Right. To be healthy. And that's been a big one for me. These extended times, because when I come back to it, I realize how much it controlled me, how little I need it, and how much more uh, fulfilled I feel not knowing everybody's problems, not knowing everybody's opinion, and not being connected continually. Right. And that excuse that you just said of, of, you know, if somebody texts me, like, what if I don't respond? That is a product of believing and being addicted to the social validation feedback loop. Yeah. That you have, our brains are wired to think about our social life. If somebody texts you, your brain does not know the difference between Matt sitting in front of me and Matt texting me. So if you were to right now ask me a question, I would feel immense pressure to answer your question because you're sitting in front of me looking at me and it would be so rude to just ignore you. But my mind knows that if you were to text me, that is completely different than if you're sitting in front of me. But my brain, my paleolithic animalistic brain thinks answer that right now because Matt's going to think you are snubbing him and you are actually negatively affecting this social relationship by not responding. Yes. But that is a lie. Yeah. And I struggle with that. I, 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 I'm not the person who has 14,000 emails. I hit zero every day because I want everything to be completed. I want to be prompt. And so I have to remind myself in these moments and times, no, I'm not on call 24 seven. No, you don't need me right now. This is where I have to be. This is the things that I have to do. And again, the more that you do it, the more it leads to life. It's that it's always what I feel like the start of something, that tension at the beginning that you're going to feel. It's when somebody is addicted and they begin to go through the detox process. Mm -hmm. That's exactly what you're doing. All right. You are detoxing your mind to rewire to say, I do not need that dopamine hit. I don't need that. I think I do. But really, that's what addiction says. Like, mm-hmm. you just need this for life and you continue. 
and you don't. Right. You know, addiction is wanting more and more of what is not working. Right. There was a, a quote from a tech executive that Marlboro wanted your lungs, but the app store wants your soul. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, the, the lie that this says is this is going to add value to your life. Mm-hmm. So it's going to save you time. Mm-hmm. That's what a lot of the apps are. You, you need this because it's going to add quality. And yet now we realize that the complexity and the number of things that are inundating us have not increased the quality of our life, right. have not made things more simple. It's actually more complex than it's ever been because now you are managing so many different levels of communication with so many different people. And that, the lie, I, I sometimes I'll go up and they're like, oh, is there a productivity app that would help me be able to be more efficient in this certain area? And I'm like, no, mm-hmm. I already have 14 of those and I don't use 12 and I don't even know if I need the two, right? And so the lie of you get sucked in of like, I need this because it's going to add value to my life and yet it's not. Right. And I would argue that where does Jesus ask us to be more efficient? Like your desire to be more efficient comes from your desire to get a leg up in the world. Right. Comes from America, comes from the American ideals, comes from the Western ideals of hustle. The actual thing you should be doing instead of trying to be more productive is trying to slow down so you can be more loving. If you think about the times when you've been the worst version of yourself to your family and your friends and others, I guarantee you were times when you were in a hurry and getting to the point where you are so productive that you're not in a hurry is, I think, a lie that you need to slow down enough to where you're not in a hurry. And the the apps, the technology, everything makes us want to go at the speed of light. And we actually need to be going at the speed of love, which is slow it's good i love that yeah i i actually just practically speaking um many many times in my life i've had a spiritual formation coach and as a pastor that's something i've tried to i've I've hired and uh, i have one right now and uh you know that may sound weird to some people but i i fully realize in my life that again it's not the systems it's not the leadership ability it's it's the ability to be spiritually formed that will make the greatest impact and there, you know, this person in my life will ask me the questions. If, if I was going to sit down with you and, and we were going to develop a rule of life for you, well, two things that I would do. Number one, you have to cr- have a correct view of God. And maybe that's a different podcast for a different time. But, you know, you can't have intimacy with a person that you don't truly trust and believe in and believe that is 100% good. And then number two, I would ask you questions to try to understand how do you, how do you tend to meet with God? So maybe these are some things for you to, you to ponder even as you're listening today. Where do you meet with God? How do you naturally connect with God? When do you feel closest to God? Um, what are things that lead you away? And, and you need to sit down and, and you need to write this out. And when I feel distracted, when I'm the worst version of myself is usually here. I mean, nobody uh, will grow if you're not self-aware. You've got to be self-aware. What are characteristics that describe your relationship with God? What, what do you long to have in your relationship with Jesus? Like, what do you long for that feels like so far away, but like you long for that? What are some growth strategies that God has used in your life to awaken you to him, to reveal himself? And, and sometimes you begin to build your spiritual formation rule of life around how God has wired you. I mean, I love to be outside. You know, I connect with God through other people. Um, I, have, I struggle to read, but I love to listen. You know, and you begin to build these things around how God has usually uniquely wired you and made you. And I think sometimes 
especially if you grew up in church, you think that growth strategy is just read your Bible and pray. And you're not open to all of the ways that God uses that. One of the ways that I pray personally is through writing. Like for whatever reason, when I journal, I can process things in my relationship with God that I just have a hard time even saying. And so that's a way that I connect with God in, in a way that I enjoy and love. And I think you have to find those. And removing the distractions is one and then leaning into the way that God has uniquely made you. Mm-hmm. I think that's a great place to um, wrap up the conversation. Before we go, is there any further practices or readings that you would recommend to people that want to continue this conversation? Honestly, it's going to sound so simplistic, but I think just setting down and starting somewhere and saying, what are one or two rhythms each day that I can implement? I think people try to do too much too soon. And we try to go and we're going to read and we're going to change and re-strategize all these things and just start somewhere. If it is setting aside an hour a day to put your phone aside and have your attention on God in some way, 30 minutes, that's beautiful. Mm -hmm. I think that honors God. Man, he, I, th- I think he rejoices in your small steps and, and it's going to lead to life. It, it may be really difficult to start, but it's worth it. All right. That's the end of episode two of Reflections on Now. Thank you guys for listening and we will see you in the next episode.